everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston. James Uber. By the time you're hearing this, pitchers and catchers will have reported the spring training. Spring is coming. It's probably good news for some people. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and I'm trying not to have my voice crack because I've got a sinus infection. Anyway, we also have a special guest this week, and that's Josh Johnson. Hello from Raleigh, North Carolina. Actually, Durham. It's all the same place. So you want to introduce yourself really quickly for folks who don't know who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm an iOS developer at Two Toasters. I've been doing iOS development since the beginning. Before that, I did a lot of AutoCAD customization programming and some web development, but since 2008, I've focused on iOS. And at Two Toasters, we, you know, we're a consulting firm that does you know apps for different many different clients and fun stuff like that. Cool. So we, we brought you in today to talk about core location. Yeah, it's one of my favorite pieces of, of iOS. So do you never get lost? Well, I like to tell myself I have core location built into my brain. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I have pretty good directions. I've always been like one of those people that like, like I'll sit there and stare at a map forever, like what, looking at roads and if I have to go somewhere, I'll look at the map and get kind of a mental model of where I have to go. Then I very rarely pull out like a GPS. So I guess I like to fool myself into thinking that I have core location built in, which means tonight I'm going to get lost on the way home or something. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of like design talks about like what is a feature of design. I forget there's one article I meant to look up before we started talking, but uh, talk about like, you know, as things change, the technology changes with it, and you know that that is implied in design. And I think one of the areas is like with our phones; it always knows where it is, assuming you've allowed it to know. And you can make certain assumptions and preferences happen by knowing the location of the user. And I just think that's I think that's fascinating. You know, being able to like it's one of the few things that we can use in our app development that's like the Star Trek communicator, right? Because that, you know, they, they would, or I'm sorry, the tricorder, they pull out and they'd scan their area and be able to detect life forms. Core location is one of the few things that we have that we can kind of replicate that. We can know where we are. And I think that's really cool. So, so whenever does, I get to do core location stuff, I get excited. How does core location know where we are? How does kind it know where we are? or something? I don't know. Yeah, so there's a bunch of little birds that fly around and they look at, I'm sorry, no. NSA, I do it. Carrier pigeon, right? Sure, right. And and they're all paid by the NSA. They have a secret project at Apple called iStalker. That's right. Yeah, they have they have a lot of people that just follow you around and always report where you are. No. So so basically, there's there's multiple levels at how core location finds you, and it's kind of optimized for speed and for battery life. Obviously, we have limited amount of power on our on our devices. So it kind of goes through a, a, a process of narrowing down where you are using several different things. So you can think of it like the first level is the cell tower, I think. Yeah, so first level is cell tower, and it will, you know, because they know what cell tower you're, you're talking to on your phone, they can infer a large region at least of where you are. And then they can triangulate it if you're talking to multiple towers. And that's that's quick because they already know that information. They already know what tower you are, and that's, you know, lower level than, than what we really get to think about. But then they can continue. So that, that that's obviously fast, because they know that already. Then the next level is, there's the Wi-Fi lookups. They can, 
I forget the exact story of how this worked out, but basically there's, I guess, a database of, of Wi-Fi access points in their locations around the world, mostly around probably U.S. I'm not sure how well that works around the world, actually. But, that you know, that, that uses that information to continually, you know, filter down even more information about where you are. And then finally, they can get the, you know, the most battery-draining version of this, which is GPS, where it actually communicates with the GPS satellites that are flying around our planet, and which, by the way, is totally cool, because space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they can, you know, again, filter down even further. That's That's the most accurate, of course, because that's finding your location based on multiple GPS satellites. And I think they use, oh, what's the name of it? Is it Navstar? That sounds right. I don't know. There's also like a Russian one too. I think I remember from some WWDC that they talked about once. But uh, yeah, so that's basically the rough ideas. And that's kind of the, like, I like to think of it like when you, when you find your location on like the maps app, you get that large circle. It's like, okay, you're, we're definitely in this area. And then it starts filtering it down, and that's kind of going... I like to think of it as kind of like going through those levels of fine-tuning your actual location. Um, and actually, I think as of iOS 6 or 7, they do some stuff with, like, the new vector map stuff. If you're working on a map, that can actually filter your info, inf- your location even closer. I haven't actually played with that part of it yet, of getting that fine-tuned with where I am. But, you know, if you're, for, like, building a path, if you're building, like, thing where you want to follow and make sure you're on a road you can get that accuracy and think it will even use the vector data from the maps to to help improve accuracy so that you know you're on a road and you're not on you're not standing in the middle of a building so you, you talked about all the different levels of location and how it figures out where you're at do you have any control over that or do you just ask the device where you are yeah you have control you have accuracy levels so you can say you know, this this is the type of thing where you kind of decide, depending on your application, like, you know, I want to generally know what region I'm in. I don't necessarily need to ask for the best accuracy. In many cases, I can say, you know, uh, I forget the, the enum specifically, but it's, you know, accuracy low, let's say. And it might just kick me a location really quick from that, like, from the, from the cell tower lookup. And that's probably good enough, and I can stop looking at that point. Because basically the way it works is you say, Start telling me where I am. Here's some settings to configure what the accuracy I'm looking for. And we can get into other stuff like the region stuff later and, and background stuff, obviously, as well. But from a very high level, you say, all right, start telling me where I am. Here's some settings to, to filter what I'm looking for. And it just starts feeding you data to the delegate, right? I'm here, you're here, you're here, you're here. And, you know, you can do different things where, like, if you really care about how accurate you are, you can build some, you know, your own algorithms to kind of narrow down when you think it's a good enough accuracy. Or if you only care that you're, you know, like if I'm building something that says I'm in Durham, that's probably going to come back pretty quick, and I can accept, you know, probably one of the first few calls to the, to the delegate method, and you know that's good enough depending on my application. Like, what are the different levels of accuracy? Like, the, if if you have a, a GPS or if you have a cell tower Wi-Fi, do you have an idea of like how accurate that is in, in meters? Well, you can set, I think the, so CL location accuracy is the, is the type that they create. And it has, I think it's a, just, I'm looking this up as we talk. Yeah, it's a double accuracy. So you can specify it in meters. Um, and then they have some specific like levels. So you can be like, like accuracy to the kilometer, accuracy. They have one that's best for navigation. That's, you know, probably the most accurate, I think. 
so yeah, I mean, that accuracy, desired accuracy property that you set on the location manager is going to be the, the, the thing that, you know, you can use to filter or, or to narrow down what you're looking for. So yeah, to answer your questions in meters. But like how many, how many meters? Do you have an idea of that? Like at the very best? Yeah, like, if, yeah like if you, if you had the most accurate, how many meters is that? If you wanted to determine if someone was going between two different stores, is that, is that possible? Or is something, well, are we looking at something else? I think that we would look at something else for that specifically. You can get down to like, I think five meters sounds right, five to ten meters, but I've never actually had it that good in many cases. Like, you know, if I'm like, let's say I'm at a Panera Bread or something, it might have me in the parking lot, as you guys have probably seen. And I think if you want specific like store-to-store information, that's where you can get into more detailed things. Like, like obviously now in iOS 7, we have iBeacons and you can listen for that kind of stuff or use other methods for determining that you're in the store specifically. Now, iBeacons okay. are part of core location then? Yes. iBeacons is a new thing that comes in iOS 7 where it's built on the region support. So we didn't talk about region. So part of the location stuff, I've only talked specifically about like, I want to know where I am. Tell me where I am. And it just starts sending you location updates. But you can also register like regions and say, I want to know when I enter or exit this region. And regions are defined as, you know, a center with a radius. And you get notifications of when that when you enter or exit if you if you ask for it. Beacons work on that same where you can register a beacon region and say, you know, as soon as I get near this, notify me. And that's the type of things that would be that's what I was saying is you know that that's what you can expand on to find like what store you're in. Gotcha. Obviously, that, that, obviously, there, there's a lot more logistics here, right? Because that means the store has to implement that themselves. It's not just going to be like, it's not magical. Not every store has a beacon, obviously. But there's there's some cool things happening there, which we can talk about, too. Does, does that answer the question that you were talking about, like, specifically with the store? So, like, notif- figuring out what store you're in? or Yeah, I think it helps people get an idea of kind of what different ac- yeah. accuracy ranges they have. So yeah, I mean, if if you're indoors though, uh, it's going to take a long time to get a GPS signal. Like if you've ever had one of those, like uh, just GPS. I mean, (laughs) if I feel so archaic talking about it, but like the Navigon or like the TomTom, like (laughs) those those devices used to exist that had an LCD screen and no phone, no games or anything on it, but just GPS and maps. And you'd like set it on your dash, and it would take like two or three minutes to find a GPS lock. So, I mean, nobody's going to wait that long on the phone. So, um, I think, I can't remember where I read this, but uh, like uh, GPS accuracy is going to give you somewhere between like, say, four and eight meters of accuracy, and then the cell triangulation is going to be within maybe a couple hundred meters, uh, depending on how many are nearby. Right. But those, those tend to come back much, much faster. And uh, really, I think you'd only uh, rely on GPS if you're going to have it running for a period of time where you might get that resolution. Right, and that's where it comes into, like, if you care that much to know to get down to that four-meter thing, right, that's where you're going to be deciding, depending on your application, how you're going to filter those results that you're getting. Because you're getting locations, you know, assuming you've started locations, it's going to start saying you're here, you're here, you're here. And you can check the accuracy level on that location, or not notification, that location object that it's sending you. And you can, you know, determine, okay, that's good enough. And that's, that's where it kind of focuses on what you need. But yeah, the, and the other thing that you mentioned too, with the fast, the cell being faster, that's obviously also good for power, right? If 
I don't want to have this radio on waiting for the GPS if I don't need it. Because, as you said, GPS is, is slower. Because it's, I think, for GPS to, to actually, well, maybe this older. It used to, because, like, those old ones, didn't they used to have to, like, talk to three satellites? They had to wait until three satellites would come into range. I, I think it's still that way. I mean, I, when I look at my, um, uh, my car has navigation in it, and there's, like, a little special key command. You can push a few buttons at once, and you'll get into, like, the secret system menu that, like, uh, text would use, and it'll show you how many satellites you're connected to, which I find fascinating. And at any given time, I've got six or seven that can see my car, or right. that my car can see, or whatever. So, you know, if you only have two, if you think about it, you can't really be certain, because they're so far up in the sky that you need a third to really pinpoint the location. Exactly. So, and also that's cool because space, still. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everything is amazing, you know. I mean, seriously, th- th- this is like this is one of those things where it's like, all right, so my f- app that I'm writing is getting information from space. Like that's one of those times where you like you kind of sit back, like you know, when you're down, you're, when you're in the guts of writing an app, and you're kind of, you know, just kind of focus on writing it, and you you forget all the cool things and the location stuff is one of those ones where it's like, there's something in space telling me things. That's really cool. <laughs> I always put a comment to my code, to do, talk to space. You know? Yes. <laughs> Wait so, for um, space to notify me. Uh, how much has this changed with iOS 7 and the motion coprocessor? I remember at WWDC they were talking about what is it, the M7 chip, M7. like caching uh, some of this data so it doesn't have to like wake you up and feed it to you, but you could like get access to that data after the fact. Is that just like maybe like pedometer type data, or is it going to allow you to, say, launch and have an immediate last known location? It's not specifically to pedometer type data. I mean, it does cache what your last known location is. So I think it's been since last summer since I watched the video, so I'm digging deep in my memory. Um, I think the way it is is, like, anytime any app gets a location, it's going to use that as a starting point. So, like, it's going to cache that, and, you know, that might feel faster because the app, you know, the system might need a location for something, or it might have that. But that's not tied to the M7 specifically. I don't think that's M7 is mostly specifically for all the you know all that motion stuff and core motion specifics. This is more of like, and this might have even been before seven. I'm not sure exactly where they came in, but they do cache the location and tell you at some point that that previously last known location, as you said. And is that a new API, or do they just give you a really quick location update, like as soon as you? They give you a really quick location update. It's not a new API. So you would see that come up faster, and it would it would to you seem like you just got that information faster, but you, you know you're not changing code for that. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I'd have to I'd have to I'm not totally sh- sure about the level of caching that happens and the level of invalidation. Obviously, caching is a hard problem. I only vaguely remember that being a thing, but there's I don't, there's not a new API for that. So, but anyways, so. Uh, another thing we can talk about is uh, like the significant location updates notification because before we had that on iOS, apps would want to uh, get continual updates just so they could know if you left a, an area or like, for instance, Google Now wanted to update your cards based on what they thought was relevant nearby. Yep. And uh, initially they launched without the significant location updates, so it was just continually pegging your battery. Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> uh, so, how does that work? Funny story, just on, on that topic, is the first time I ever wrote a core location thing, it was back in that, and I left it running, and I was at a, at a meetup, 
and my pants were like on fire and I was like, what's happening? And it was because, <laughs> because of exactly what you're saying. It was, it was sitting there running, waiting for getting locations and my phone was red hot. <laughs> Anyways, the, uh, so the, the way the significant change thing works is instead of saying, start telling me up location updates, you, you ask the location. So a little bit back, a little bit more in, in the setup here, let, let's, let's take a step back. You have a location manager, which is, is what drives this, and it's CL location manager, right? That's the, that's the object that you're going to say, you're going to set yourself as the delegate of, and that's the object that you're going to say, start finding location. And then once that process happens, it's going to say, okay, I, you know, it's going to notify your delegate method, which I think is location manager did update location, and it's going to have an array of updated locations. And you can then infer, like we were talking about earlier, on whether it's good enough location, or if you want to wait to the next for the next set. So on that, so the way that works is you say, you know, you have your location manager. You say start updating locations, stop updating locations when you're done. As for the significant change, that's a, a different call, and you, you specific, specifically say start monitoring significant location updates or changes, and that's going to go through this different process where it's going to. It's, what is it? I think it's like 500, it's in the docs. We're going to read this. 500 meters or more from the previous notification. Okay. So you're not going to get those continual updates, you know, through did update locations. Like the, the previous method that I discussed, where you say start updating locations, it's going to call that all the time until you tell it to stop. This one will use that significant change to say, okay, I've already notified them here once I've passed that 500 meter mark from the previous ones, I'm going to get another location change. So that's, that's like, think of it like I'm driving down the highway and getting locations at each point down the highway is going to be expensive, right? Just like you brought up. If I ask for significant changes, I'm going to get those more spaced out updates as I'm, you know, doing, doing 90, I mean, 75, I mean, 65 miles an hour down the highway. And that obviously is better on battery life. Interesting though that that doesn't actually use the there's a distance filter that you can use for the other one that will filter how many updates you get that's completely isolated from this this is specifically like using their own internal updates system does that make sense yep so the distance filter allows you to say hey I don't care about smaller you know 500 meter changes I want to know when we've moved a mile or so right but that's exactly and that's specifically tied to the the other way where you're just saying, give me locations and you can, you can apply it. Like, just like we talked about before about desired accuracy, where you can say, I'm only looking for an accuracy level of X. This is another one. This is the minimum distance of like, you told me about an update 10 feet ago. I don't need another one for another hundred meters or something like that. And that I think location distance is also I'm looking it up as I talk. Location distance is also a double. So you can specify that as, as needed. So I guess the the common pattern would be to, uh, if you need continual updates, use the distance filter to not be flooded with information, and that allows the, you know, iOS to maybe scale back on what it needs to give you. Uh, right. But then there's the other the case, like uh, with the app I work on, I just need to know what city you're in. So uh, as soon as we get an update, no matter how un- inaccurate, we just stop listening. Exactly. Which I think some people forget to do. Like as soon as you get the the update that satisfies your needs, you should turn off the location updates. Yeah, that's that's definitely the pattern. And you know, I mean, like you said, this is or like we've both said now, this is this is very specific to your application. So your you know, your application 
I've had to do applications where they really cared about, like, like I did one where they cared a lot about the distance because it was like for a shipping company and they, they had iPads in their vehicles and they wanted to like keep track of the mileage as much as they could. So in that scenario, significant change, unless I was in the background, I, I did significant change when I went to the background, but while the app was running, they were sitting there plugged in and they wanted to be accurate. So like for that scenario, I could leave it running and just keep, I, I had obviously a distance filter, so I wasn't getting too many updates, but you know, that scenario, it, it needed to be more accurate because that's what that project needed. And then when it went to the background, I could kind of get a little less accurate, but still generally get, you know, get the, the gist of what I was looking for. Is there anything special you have to do for location stuff in the background? Um, yeah, so there's a, you know, like a P-list key. Uh, the UI background modes. UI background modes, thank you, yes. The, so you, you, you set up one of the UI background modes, uh, location, the location value in, uh, in your P-list, in your info.plist. And at that point, you start getting, you, you will get significant change locations notified to you while you're in the background. Now there is, there is one thing that you have to do, because obviously this is, you know, you don't, you obviously don't want your app to be running right all the time in the background. Or you, you don't want to, to do a lot of work in this scenario. So actually, I think iOS 7, no, actually iOS 6, they added this, this whole deferred location thing. You can like defer location updates until you, you, you know, you wake the app again and then you can get those updates, which obviously helps in battery life for one. You're not getting your app notified running through a bunch of logic and then just to decide that you didn't need that, that location, right? You can defer this to the point where you do to later when you actually need it. So that, that's, that's definitely one thing to look into if, if you're doing a lot of background stuff. So that, that would deliver like one array of lots of updates as soon as you launch the app again? I believe that's how it works. I haven't actually used that API, so I'm, I'm just remembering from playing around. But yeah, that, I think that's how that works. Yeah, I think that would be really handy for a lot of applications. Like, yeah, we need to know we need to know the the location, but I don't need to be woken up to do that because, in our case, we're only interested in it when the user's looking at the app anyway. Right, and since that did update locations is an array of locations, you can do you know they can pass you all that, and you can do what you need at that point. So, and I assume it's ordered, so you could just say, "Give me the last one." Yeah, it or is, the, <laughs> or the first or the one. First I don't. One. <laughs> and, and now I don't know which one is the most recent. And now that we have first object as a real uh, method, we can do that. If, if that's, I think it's last object actually is what you'd want. I think yeah. it's ordered by by uh, first in, first last out, or whatever. Okay, so what about uh, region monitoring? So that's where we we kind of touched on that a little bit before. So much like you know, we had we had the specific method for saying I want to be notified for significant changes. You have another method on the CL location manager that's, that says uh, start monitoring for region. And that's specific because unlike start updating location and start monitoring significant changes, start monitoring for region requires that you send it an actual region that you, you identify. So, which you can identify, it's just a CL region um, object that you create. And I think in iOS 7, because of beacons, they kind of promoted CL region to be kind of like a, an abstract class, and now you have CL circular region and CL beacon region. And, of course, C- circular region is what regions used to be in before iOS 7. And that, like I said earlier, is you identify the center and a radius, and that kind of creates that, that region circle. 
and then you can tell the region to notify you when you enter it, you can notify when you exit it, and then you just pass that region onto the system, and then and, you know when you either enter or exit that region, you're notified through yeah did enter region location manager did enter region, and of course there's also the fail case right which you monitoring I think it's location manager monitoring did fail for region with error and then you can do things if you need to but you have the region you're looking for but yeah those are really good for scenarios like I mean I think reminders app right when you say remind me when I get home they can create a region around your home because they know where your home is and as soon as you get home that, that notification fires to the app and they can you know prompt a local notification to tell you about it so that's that's kind of a great thing that I think you can use for that kind of... It doesn't go back to what you were asking about before with stores, right? You were saying, can I know what store I'm in? You could, but obviously that's depending on a lot of data. Like finding my house on, you know, is a lot easier than finding which slot in a mall a certain store is, <laughs> which I think there are some things coming. I forget. There's a, there's a service coming that does, like, floor plan mapping but I haven't played with any of that yet. But all that said, though, is you can use all these things together to kind of like, you know, when I enter the mall region, now I know I'm here. And then if the store provided, you know, if that, like, let's say, what's a good store? How about the Apple store? So the Apple store broadcasted that iBeacon, you can then know that when you're in that store. So you can kind of say, okay, I'm in the mall, use iBeacons to tell you're in the store, and then use just the, you know, the rest of the location for like tracking where you are at any other given point in time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah definitely. Cool. So, so we've got the circular region, which is the old seal C- region. Correct. And we've got the seal, the beacon region. Are there any yeah. other type of regions that we have? I don't think so. I, f- I always felt like there's a polygon one at some point, but every time I felt like I went looking for it, I didn't find it. Let me, I, I think those are the only two right now though. Okay. Well, how does the beacon region differ from the circular region that we're all used to? The beacon region can move around, right? It's, not, it's not fixed in, uh, you know, lat-long coordinates. Correct. It can move around, and it also has... So this is... I mean, we can just go straight into beacons, because this sort of gets kind of cool. Beacons have other properties as well. It's not a region as in... You, you do have a proximity, I think, but you also have, like, every beacon has a proximity, like, it has a UUID basically identifies itself and then that's you know that's the beacon you're looking for but it also has properties like major and minor and the way i think of it is like um if i was target and i wanted to to do different things when a person walks into the men's department versus electronics department versus you know checkout right i'd have one uid and that identifies this is a target broadcast okay so in my app, that presumably would be Target's app. I, I make no claim that I worked on Target's app. I did not work on Target's app. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> if I, so as whoever Target's app developer is, they could say, okay, I'm looking for this UID to find, you know, other iBeacons that are broadcasting with that same UID. And then I can use major and minor to, like, filter that down. So I can identify, like, a major version is the Target at, you know, in Durham, the other major might be a different target in, you know, San Francisco, whatever. And then the minor can get down to like, I have a minor ID for shoes. I have a minor ID for, you know, checkout. And I can then infer on that information when I get, when I get into that region and say, okay, this is 
now telling me that I'm standing in front of a register and I can do different things with that scenario. So that's that's obviously kind of extracting a little bit away from location. Even though this is a part of, of core location, the location isn't, the, like, you're not getting updates, like, that and long, like you are with the other locations. You're getting, you're at this, you know, you're at this beacon. And you're probably within this distance from this beacon. And it's this specific beacon in this, you know, in this scenario. And that's where you can, like, infer on the context of what the, the user is doing at that point. Obviously, highly application specific, but that, I think that's really cool. I, I mean, it obviously opens up a lot of different things. And there's even some company that does, like, I think it's Red Bear, something like that. And they're actually producing CL beacons that you can set up and just, you can buy a bunch of them and you you, know, you can write your, your app that, that talks to them and listens to when you're near them. So I think that opens we've, up. We've been experimenting with uh, Estimotes and estimates. Uh, the Estimotes. So they have uh, kind of like a distinct look. They look like a little kind of uh, colorful rock and you can stick them on the wall. Right. And, um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. We've got a I don't know a dozen or so that we've been working on some internal stuff with, and it's kind of cool because we have a little dashboard that shows like which beacons different people are near. And yeah. so since I have the app in my pocket, when I like come in from the restroom, uh, like I see my name pop up on the wall. The only downside I'd say is that the beacon updates are like not nearly accurate enough you know yeah it's pretty accurate to know like okay you are pretty close to this thing but you can't tell like whether or not you're three feet away or 10 feet away sometimes it depends on if there's a wall in there yeah um and what we've noticed is that in order to get the did exit beacon region yeah or did what is it did exit region event like a significant period of time has to pass where it hasn't received any updates for it to fire that and so, you know, when, when we were doing some testing with this uh, type of stuff, it just, it wasn't like an immediate, like, okay, you're in, now you're out, now you're in, now you're out, you know. It's- There's a way that you can, like, fine-tune the, uh, it's a part of when you're, yeah, so you can get, like, the data that the the uh, beacon is putting out with, like, the measured power, and you can, like, tweak in the, you know, in the room that you're in. You, like, I, th- I think the way it works is, like, you you broadcast with certain power and then you you register that power and then that you enter that in, in different areas in the room or something like that. And you can kind of tweak the device for the room you're in. I haven't actually done that yet, so I was just curious if that was something you guys have played with. I haven't, but uh, you know, people on that team may have. I know that there's a test app that uh, one of the guys uses and it's printing out like the power. Yeah, the RSSI or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously that that also. So the other thing that's I think you, that's one bad point about it. Is I think the other thing that's a little scary is you know Apple hasn't published the iBeacon spec yet, right? It's been reverse engineered, and I think that's how these like Estimotes and Red Bear are. You know, they've figured out what an iBeacon is because it's just you know low power Bluetooth. But you know that that's a little like I, we've pitched this to clients before, and they didn't want to do it because they were afraid that Bluetooth, you know, that the spec would change or something would be different when Apple does, if Apple ever publishes, you know, what an iBeacon is. So I think that's another downside is, you know, there's all these cool things like estimates where you can stick them around, but they're, they're basically built on reverse engineered information. And I think that's kind of scary to some people. So yeah. that's, that's obviously another, another flaw with, and, and I think it makes sense because I, I think from Apple's point of view, you know, they're 
they're hoping that iBeacons are someone puts an iPad, like the coffee shop I go to around the corner, they have an iPad as their checkout system, you know, because I think they're using Square. And that's, I think, what Apple's looking for is like those can be an iBeacon and then you can infer specifically in that, re- you know, you can do all of that stuff we talked about earlier by knowing that the user's there from from that point of view. And I think all these cool things, I mean, I think they're cool, definitely, like the Estimote Red Bear Lab. They, you know, th- I think those are cool ideas, but, you know, I, I think it's like everything else, you know, people see something, Apple, Apple does something cool and people try to build on top of it, so... It's just a little scary. So I've, I've got some ideas that are related to knowing how close somebody is to a beacon or adjusting the range of the beacon so that it only detects people who are close enough. Mm-hmm. Can you do that? There's four states that you yeah, can get. You can get, like, I can see the beacon, but I don't know. So there's an unknown. There's a far. Right, it's, seal, it's seal proximity. So you, you get the unknown, you get the far, you get near, and then the immediate. Yeah, in my testing, far you'll get the far one when you're up to, say, 20 or so feet away. Uh, anything beyond that, you'll start getting unknown. Uh, usually get unknown, like, immediately. That's usually, like, your first callback you'll get uh-huh. is, okay, I can see the beacon, but I don't know how far away you are until I start ranging it. And then near is, like, you sitting in front of your laptop, for instance. Uh, okay. And then when you're right on top of it, like, almost touching, then you get uh, immediate do the beacons get any of this information as well? Like, do they get any range information, or, do, or are they just broadcasting? It, the, those little dumb ones, like estimates or whatever, those are just broadcasting, but you can use a phone or a MacBook as a beacon. So right. you can have two people, yeah, and so we did a, a little hackathon where we were trying to f- come up with a cool idea for this, um, and what we wanted to do is, like, infect people with viruses, like the... Uh-huh. The biological kind. <laughs> so you would like craft the, you know, your virus and then when you like brushed by somebody else who had the app, they would get infected with your virus. And we did that based on uh, you know, awesome. the, the iBeacon proximity stuff. And did you have the same problem? Like, because you mentioned earlier about how did accident happen. Did, did you have that same problem on getting those notifications? Like, Yeah, so it was, especially since we were doing this right next to each other. At yeah. this, you know, like we would just never get the exit event. So we started to change it. And okay, we're not going to do it where you just enter in the same room. Like uh, we're going to do it where you have to be near the person. So uh, what we did was you could wake up the app when you are detected that there's a beacon nearby. You'll get the did enter region. And then you start ranging the beacon to get the proximity. And then if you were near, then we would consider them infected. We would send a you know, post something to the server, the server would send a push notification to the other the other app saying right. you've you've been infected with, you know, Egyptian tongue malaria or something. And <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. It, it, it only sort of works right now. Uh, so we just need to pick it up uh, the, you know the next time we have some chance to goof around. That's that sounds like the perfect type of hackathon project. Uh, I like that kind of. Yeah, thing. I mean, it. It really. I had no idea about any of the beacon stuff before I did it. Like what, what the dev experience was like, but more importantly, like what is the quality of information you get and frequency yeah. and and accuracy and that sort of thing. Yeah, I really like that. We so I do the cocoa heads here in, in Raleigh, and we've been trying to talk about figuring out a good like hackathon to do. I think I might steal that idea. <laughs> <laughs> that cool. sounds like fun. Yeah. So I go a little bit, I don't know if, so when you get into the broadcasting, that's obviously not a core location thing. That's a part of core Bluetooth, and you actually create like a peripheral manager. 
So like like he was saying, you know, you can you can go both ways and you can broadcast and receive in your app. So right. that that was one thing that hit me at first when I first started looking at like I haven't done anything near as extensive as you know as virus transmission, but the uh, you know obviously when this came out, I was like, I want to play with this, so I built a little quick little demo app and played around with it. And the first thing that hit me was that when I wanted to broadcast, it wasn't a part of core location. I had to it was obviously in core core Bluetooth because it is a Bluetooth functionality that's that's that you're you're working with. So that's I guess one thing to keep in mind if you want to start digging around that side of it. All right. Well, if if we don't have anything else to talk about, then we can go ahead and get into the picks. Yeah, I I, I don't have anything else. It's it's fun, and then it's fun to play with all of it. So, all right. That's, it does sound like fun. I'm gonna have to play with it too. Well, let's let's get into the picks. Uh, ben, do you want to start us with the picks? Sure. So I'm speaking at some conferences coming up soon in March. In I guess in like three weeks, I'm gonna speak at CocoCoff Chicago. Uh, in April, I'll be in Austin at CocoConf Mini, and also in April, I'll be at Philly Emerging Tech. So if you live in Philadelphia, uh, come out and say hi. Also want to pick a really cool Mac app for guitarists called Capo. The idea behind Capo is it'll analyze the audio spectrum of your of a given audio file, and it will try to fill in uh, what notes are being played. It's really pretty amazing how it looks. Uh, and so you can just like drag a song that you want to play in, and it will try and guess what the chords are. And you can even tab out the various notes. You can just click on it and say, this is a, a guitar note, and you click on it, and it will actually put that in tablature at the bottom of the, of the song, which I think is really cool if you want to tab out a song. But really what I've been using it for is to slow down songs. So if I want to play a solo of a song that's way too fast for me right now, I can slow it down to like three-quarter speed or half speed, and then I can just try and get it um, that way. So I've, I've really, really been enjoying Capo. And my last pick is a beer pick. I picked up a Carbach Hellfighter, which is kind of a rare beer. It's uh, made in Houston. Uh, it was really expensive. It's a bourbon barrel-aged imperial porter, but it was quite tasty. So uh, those are my picks. Awesome. James, what are your picks? So I've got one pick today. So I do I do consulting and freelance work with iOS, and you know I've got my hourly rate for my, when I'm actually doing work, but I don't really didn't really know like how much time I spend like onboarding a client, answering emails, and doing stuff and doing the whole sales process. So I was looking for a way to kind of keep track of my my time. Didn't find anything that good, uh, but I stumbled upon one app that I'm actually I've been using for the past couple of weeks. I like it quite a bit. It's called Toggle. It lets you to switch back and forth if you're sending an email or something like that. So I look forward to seeing what my actual rate is, which is hopefully not a depressing thing, but we'll see how it goes. But Toggle, check it out. Awesome. Can I like rent you like uh, like you can with EC2 servers? Like as soon as your hourly rate drops below like $18 an hour, then... 18 yeah. hours? $18 an hour? Yeah. You think I'm like an expert or something? <laughs> <laughs> so you just publish your numbers and I'll... Uh, what do you call that on AWS? Uh, spot instances. As soon as your rate goes below X, I'll start sending you stuff to do. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Change the color on this button. Okay. (laughs) Very nice. I don't have any picks other than antibiotics this week. So, Um, (laughs) Josh, what are your picks? Well, I I guess I have to copy Ben a little bit. Or I'm 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 actually going to be talking at CocoConf in Raleigh um, in May. 
So that's definitely something if you're in this area. My favorite app right now I just bought like a couple days ago is B. So we use um, Jira as our like you know bug tracking, issue tracking, and we we do all of our like plant like sprint planning and stuff in there too. And I absolutely hate the web interface to Jira. It's a web interface which I hate. So B is like a it's a nice little native app that you can use to see what you have to work on and it's been really nice having it and it ties into to Jira's work log system so if you're that type of person who likes to see how much time you've spent on a given task you can you know there's a little play button so when you work on task A you hit play and, and it builds up to time and when you close the ticket you see like you see that whole history which is really nice and I'm going to copy the beer pick too because we have this brewery here in, in North Carolina called Red Oak I don't know if you guys can get it, but Red Oak's a really good beer. It's, it's, it's a, uh, I don't, I guess I don't even know enough about beer to, to talk about what type it is, but I really enjoy it. It's a delicious so. beer. Yeah, that's like requirement number one. It's like, yeah, I love tasty. My wife and I've gotten really into like craft beer lately, and we went to we went to the Highland Brewery in Nashville. There's a lot, a lot of local breweries here. Um, it's kind of a big thing happening in this area. Obviously, it's happening everywhere, but it's happening here a lot as well and we have a lot of breweries around here so it's fun <laughs> i just get grumpy when people make beer picks that i can't get in my local store in minnesota you guys are both on my list so jame uh, uh, I, I heard a little tip if you go to beer advocate there's a trading section and i always wondered how this works but apparently you just you can mail them cash which i don't condone <laughs> uh but then they rate like uh, what, like sellers, kind of like eBay. Uh, so it's kind of unofficial, and you're not supposed to ship beer. But uh, the way they get around it is that it's you're shipping a collectible piece of glass that happens to have delicious liquid inside. Is <laughs> that <laughs> like the Silk Road? Do they take Bitcoin or something? It sounds like kinda... no. I mean, usually you could just say, "Okay, here's what I have local. Who wants something?" And then they'll trade you something from their region. Is it uh, illegal to so, ship beer? No, I mean you actually it's a legitimate workaround to say, no, I want to collect the bottle, and that's fine. So I know somebody who does this like all the time. So I don't know. I'm eager to try it actually, because I want to try some just stuff that I wouldn't normally get. I think I'm far too lazy for that. So, also, just another anti pick for liquor laws because they're retarded. Because why can't you just say, oh, that looks nice. I would like to order that and have it shipped to my door like you can with coffee or wine. Yeah. So, so technically speaking, shipping beer is against the law, but shipping collectible bottles is not, is yeah. what you're saying? Do you know why shipping wine is not against the law? No. Because it's made of grapes and it's an agriculture product. And so there was a probably some lobby somewhere where they classified it as something else. So you can order wine and have it shipped. No problem. Makes no <laughs> sense. Yeah. What my liquid grain? Yeah, <laughs> it's like it, it makes no sense. Kind of like how like isn't like Jack Daniels brewed or not brewed, but you know made in a dry county in Tennessee or whatever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this just makes no sense. But whatever. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks, guys, for all of your input and thanks for coming on the show, Josh. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Fun. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up. We'll catch y'all next week. <laughs>